That's the song. Any questions about where we repeat, where we do things? Not doing it anymore. We're doing this one. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to sound like it. We're gonna go with some really light and old school music. Yes. 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 Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. We often think of honor and glory we give to God, our Creator, Christ, our Savior. But think about the words that Jesus says, My Father, that is God Himself, will honor those who serve Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We love You. We ask, Father, that You be a part of this time. 
that you help challenge us today. That you open our hearts and our minds. Father, help us to pursue obedience to Christ. To practice that faith which we profess. And to gain this proper perspective on what is good. In Jesus' name, amen. I grew up having pizza every Friday night. Anybody else do that? You know, Friday night pizza? We did that. I love that. I, you know, I, don't, I don't know why. I think because it's hard to mess up a pizza. Um, and there's something we look forward to all the time. I, I tried to do that at our house, pizza every Friday night. A couple nights ago, um, or a couple weeks ago, I wanted pizza again. It was Friday night. And I said, hey, we're driving home from school. I said, you know what tonight is, buddy? Tonight's pizza night, right? And he said, nah, I'm kind of bored with that. I just about lost control of the car. I, I... You talk about a good life. I, I don't, I can't imagine that, you know. You want some pizza? Now nah, I'm bored with that. I mean, just an incredible blessing. Just this, you, I, I don't know what the good life exactly looks like, but that sounds like it. You want this? You want some ice cream? Now nah, I'm kind of bored with that. Are you kidding me, boy? The good life, living the good life. We got a picture of what the good life is, I think, some of us. But I, I will tell you this. I think we're really skewed on what good is. I think we really got a poor representation of what the good life is. Sometimes we think the good life is notoriety. Sometimes we think the good life is fame. Sometimes we think the good life is fortune. Sometimes we think the good life is ease and comfort. And, and when you look at the definition, when you look at the understanding of what Jesus talks about, when he talks about things that are good, it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with having more than the neighbor. It has nothing to do with having pizza every Friday night. It has nothing to do with any of that stuff. So what is the good life if you're pursuing the good life? It runs in my mind that I've used this title for a message before, but I can't remember. I figure if I can't remember, you can't either. So this is the first time we've used this. We'll just say that. What is the good life? We've been talking for a while now about the opportunity and the responsibility that we have to serve Christ's kingdom. And, and it started way a long time ago. It started with this, this statement that Jesus made. Those who put their hand to the plow and look back are not fit for service. And when I read something like that, I've got to go into it deeper because I reflect upon my own life. You know, you begin asking questions. Exactly what does Jesus mean? Am I fit for service? I would absolutely hate to think that I'm not fit for service in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so we were breaking that down. We've talked about all of these aspects of service and how every single one of these is a part of us giving our life over to Jesus. It's a response to this incredible salvation that Jesus offers us. And we begin to get a taste of the good life. This brought us into spiritual gifts, this 
grace poured out upon us by the Holy Spirit, the desire and the position and the opportunity in order to serve Jesus in various ways. And how the whole body has to come together in order to do this. Every person, if you're not paying attention, pay attention right now. Every person who accepts Jesus has a role and a responsibility in the kingdom of Christ. And so if you're not doing that, you're not living out your faith. Okay? You're not pursuing the good life. You might as well throw that away. The good life defined by Jesus Christ is the eternal life. It's the life of service. It's the life of love. It's the life of bearing each other's burdens. As Luke was talking about, I was this close to calling you Paul. I don't, I don't know why. I'm looking at Paul. I'm, I'm talking about Luke. And we're in the Bible. So I'm just going to use some biblical names here. That's the good life. We've talked about a lot of these areas of service. Today we finish up with some of these very, very important, very valuable uh, ways in which we can serve the body and serve Jesus Christ. Today we look at uh, shepherding. Shepherding. This is another gift that the Holy Spirit gives people in the church. Shepherding. You might call this church leadership. You might call this eldership. But it's shepherding. It's caring for the flock. When you look at a shepherd, what does a shepherd do? What are the primary responsibilities of a shepherd? Because i got to tell you, shepherds in your life don't know everything. If you're a shepherd, you don't know everything. You can't do everything. You might be a shepherd of the church. You might be a shepherd of your family. But there's things that you just don't know. But there's a few things that you must take on if you're going to be a shepherd. The same thing every shepherd takes on when they are tending the flock. Food, protection, and direction. Food, protection, and direction if you're going to be a shepherd. This is a desire. It must be done through one who wants to take on this role, not someone who is forced to take on this role through compulsion. Food is this. Make sure the word is taught. Make sure the word's taught. That's food. And I mean the real word. I don't mean a perversion of the word of Jesus Christ, but I mean the real one. Now, shepherds are required to teach. There are shepherds in this church that teach. They don't teach all at once. They don't teach all the time, but each one teaches and instructs. In fact, Luke's going to be teaching next next service, second service. You want to join him. And make sure that the Bible is taught in the church. Look, there's organizations out there that treat exegetical biblical teaching as secondary importance. And they're great charities, but they're not great churches. This is not the way to provide food. This is real food. Real food is the love of Jesus Christ and the understanding of who and what he is. John chapter 6, Jesus saying this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven, that's real food. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He goes on in John chapter 6, 54 to 58, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise them up on the last day. 
we've talked about this a few, a few weeks ago, a few months ago. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Look, your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. If you're going to be a shepherd, you make sure those you shepherd have food. This is for everyone. Why? Because shepherding in its broadest sense is not just inside the church walls proper. If you have a family, you're called to be a shepherd. You're called to be a shepherd of that home. You are called to be a shepherd to those kids. You're called to be a shepherd to your spouse. Let me ask you, what would you call a man who's capable and yet refuses to support his family? You don't have to yell this out. He doesn't work. For that matter, he doesn't even play, doesn't instruct, doesn't discipline, doesn't go, doesn't help, doesn't sacrifice, doesn't try, doesn't care. And as a result, there is no bread on the table. What would you call him? I know that we have our ideas and descriptions in our minds, deadbeat, slacker, scoundrel, slug, a lot of S words there, I guess I guess. Shepherds, you know the real bread. If you're shepherding your home, Jesus just told us what the real bread is. Are you feeding your family? Are you feeding your family? If the only food your bread gets is right here this half hour on Sunday morning, you're not feeding your family. Is there bread on the table? That's what a shepherd does. What else does a shepherd do? Make sure the bread is of good quality. That is protection. Protection. Shepherds are, important. Shepherds are in charge of protecting the integrity of the word. They fight off the heresy that is so prevalent. We live in a time, from the time of the foundation of the church until now, we live in a time of heresy and false prophets. Heresy that I can't even keep up with. I, I'll be reading this or show this or somebody will bring this to my attention. And I can't even, I can't even keep all of it straight. The incredible heresy and blasphemy in the world today, wolves prowl. So a shepherd must be able to identify the wolves and fight them off. And fight like angels fight. This is done, read through scripture, watch how angels fight. It's done through the word. It's not through having a, a, a bigger physical or, or greater presence than the adversary. It's fought through the word. Bear in mind though, certainly if you reflect upon your homes, whenever a shepherd fights off the wolves, their lives are at risk. Their lives are at risk. And while your physical life may not be at risk or may not be at risk all that often, that's not really what I'm talking about. First is your spiritual life is at risk when you fight off the wolves. We are told on a regular basis in Scripture to be careful when you are correcting that you don't get drawn into the same sin. Galatians chapter 6, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. It's a dangerous thing to fight off the wolves. This is one of the reasons that elders are not to be recent converts. 1 Timothy 3, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. There's also a lifestyle that you put in jeopardy when you fight off the wolves. Your job, reputation, comfort level, whatever that is, you're hanging on to these things. You cannot be a shepherd. All these things. 
we must be willing to sacrifice to protect those in your charge. We've actually had conversations like that in our home. There will be a day, right? Will be a day. Accusations will be leveled. Something will happen because you're following Jesus. Now, what else does a shepherd do? Shepherd gives direction, that is, guides. What is the primary way a shepherd guides? Oh, I suppose they can hit the sheep and beat the sheep, goad the sheep here and there. But that's not the primary way a shepherd guides. A shepherd guides by leading, going first, going first. You don't expect anyone, certainly not your family, to go where you're not prepared or willing to go. Need to make sure that the word is taught properly, and then you may need to make sure that the application of the word is done properly. Again, shepherds are not professionals in every area of life. They don't have answers to everything, nor are they necessarily given the same amount of grace as they go through life. That is these spiritual gifts. But that's precisely why everyone in the church needs to live out their role in order for it to be successful. Adherence to the word is important for this guidance, Hebrews 13. And I tell you, I, I cringe from this sometimes. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And not just here in this church. You've got church leaders that extend from right now clear back through history. Certainly as you read and understand the word of God. So this is a gift. A spiritual gift, a charge, an opportunity given by the Holy Spirit, directed by the Holy Spirit, commanded and given that importance by the Holy Spirit, blessed by the Holy Spirit, ordained by the Holy Spirit to shepherd those around you. Another gift that we see, we're coming down to the end, is encouragement or exhortation. The gift of encouragement or exhortation. You just heard from Luke or Paul, whatever you want to call him, Galatians chapter 6, carry each other's burdens. This is Paul, by the way. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is what encouragement means. This is what exhortation means. To walk alongside, to prompt, to help, to propel others forward. It's urging someone when life is difficult, when struggles mount, we walk alongside and we care for. This is so important that Paul tells Timothy to teach this while Paul's away, exhortation. Now, to exhort or to encourage, you build a relationship with others. You care about others. It's not just teaching and proclaiming the word, that's important too. But now you walk with one another as they go through this walk with Christ in the sanctification process. People with this gift of exhortation can proclaim truth as prophets do. But it's those little extras that make the difference when someone is struggling in their life. If you're going to walk through the fire, I'll walk through it with you. And we have to see how when it comes to things like encouragement, when it comes to things like service, when it comes to things like showing mercy, these are gifts that are so abundant in the church and must be in order for the church to survive, in order for the church to continue to live, to grow, 
to help one another. It, 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 you shouldn't be surprised by the fact that there are some gifts that the Holy Spirit bestows upon the church not in abundance. And then there are other gifts that the Holy Spirit bestows upon the church in great abundance. Encouragement, mercy showing, service, generosity. These are some of those gifts. This verse of Galatians 6 encourages, take this to heart. But I want you to remember what Jesus says. They fulfill the law of Christ. We have to see how encouragement complements mercy showing, serving, generosity. We have to see how all of these gifts complement one another. And, and there's a reason why the body is a unit and it cannot work properly and it cannot grow without all parts involved. We'll see teachers moving in and, and merging with wisdom and knowledge and discernment with prophecy and evangelism. Remember what I said at the beginning of this part of the series, don't miss the forest. Don't miss the forest. It's the entire body. As you look at the body, from the, at least from the outside, the finger merges into the hand. The hand merges into the arm. The arm merges into the body. There's no clear cut, again, from the outside, no clear cut line that says this is where it starts, this is where it ends, and it's a millimeter this way, and don't go beyond that. All of these things merge and support one another, build into one another. If you're looking for clear-cut lines where your ministry begins and where it ends, where your responsibilities end, where your pursuit of the obedience of Christ ends, you're going to have a hard time finding that. Again, one problem, and this is, this is something that, that we get tempted with when we talk about spiritual gifts. One of the problems for Christians is, is this temptation to get so caught up and whatever your spiritual gift is, that that's the only area in which you, ser you seek to serve Jesus Christ. That's not how these things work. That's not how your spiritual gifts work. In fact, next week, we're going to drive that point home. God calls us to obediently serve him in all things. By the way, that's faith. That's faith. Obediently serve Christ in all things. You don't need any other definition than that. That's faith. In fact, we're admonished when we don't obey Christ and claim to have faith. Faith is action. Faith is action. God equips us with whatever gifts we, we need in order to accomplish the task he has called us to do. This is what pursuit of the good life looks like. And finally, teaching teaching we're here because someone has taught us or someone is teaching us we're here because somebody has introduced the word of Jesus Christ to us we use it we rest upon it we remember teachers of our past this is how Paul identifies himself a teacher Jesus identifies himself as a teacher to instruct, teach, to lay out, to allow this application of the word of God, such a noble and high calling. What is a teacher? A teacher is one empowered by the Holy Spirit to explain God's word. 
that's a teacher. And so if you're a shepherd of a home, you're going to want to focus in on teaching. If you want to be a part of the body of Christ, teaching is a noble pursuit. A teacher can explain it accurately, properly. They can explain it effectively. Now, what the student does after that is very much up to students sometimes. But the teacher teaches accurately and effectively. And by the way, teaching is a great example of how the Holy Spirit manifests so many of these gifts in your life. Again, we're going to see this next week. I really hope you're here next week. Be here early. You know, we're going to... We're going to do something a little bit different, uh, but we're going to bring all this stuff home. We're going to have a testimony. We want to make sure you're here on time. I mean, it's not like we're doing the sermon at the beginning of the service. The beginning of the service next week. All right? But you want to be here for that. All this stuff gets tied together. The Holy Spirit manifests these gifts through a great example of teaching. It begins with this desire to serve. And we don't wake up one morning knowing how to do everything or understanding everything that we want to teach. We don't even wake up every morning wanting to do every specific moment of this service. Every teacher, at least every good teacher, every teacher that takes this charge seriously does the same thing. They study. They study. They read. They understand. They ask questions. See, this is the way the Holy Spirit works in our life when it comes to these gifts. It's not a magic wand. It works hand in hand with the pursuit of our hearts. Teachers ask, they prepare, they organize, they make mistakes, and they learn from those mistakes. They refine their crafts, all with one goal in mind, raising up the knowledge and understanding of Christ in the pupils. Now, you look at all of these areas of service. You look at all of these wonderful spiritual gifts that the church has given. All of them begin to manifest themselves that same way. Service, you begin to understand it. You begin to practice it. You make mistakes in the process, and you begin to refine it. Mercy showing, wisdom, discernment, all of these things start with a desire to serve Jesus Christ, and they're built and strengthened in our lives. Teaching the word, certainly a noble calling, Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ gave himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers for what? To equip his people for works of service. To equip his people to be the very body of Jesus Christ. To serve the kingdom of Christ. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature, spiritually grown up, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. These are what's known as the foundations of the church, these foundational gifts, and teaching is certainly one of them. Jesus taught so much more than he performed miracles. Jesus taught more than the record we actually have in Scripture. Read through the account of John. He'll tell you the whole world wouldn't be able to contain all the books of the things Jesus taught. Again, Paul considered himself an apostle and a teacher. As he writes to, writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, that's preacher, an apostle, that's one sent on a mission, and teacher. Paul could have called himself a lot of different things, but it was so important to him. 
Once again, it's so vital that James tells us not to play around with it, but to take it seriously. James 3, not many of you should presume to teach because you know that those who teach are going to be judged more strictly. By the way, this is not meant to discourage teachers. It's not meant to discourage the gift of the Holy Spirit working through the opportunity that you are presented. It is simply meant to drive home the importance of it. By the way, we also think judgment. We see the word judgment, we think bad, don't we? That goes both ways. Judgment's not just bad. Judgment can be very, very good, okay? When we take on some of these incredible, when we show, when we display and serve with the gifts that we have. Judgment is good. Teachers are deserving of honor. By the way, teacher is a title that Christ embraced. He's, he's addressed specifically in the gospel accounts 90 times. Two-thirds of those times he's called teacher. Teacher. Not Lord. Not pastor. Not this, not that. Teacher. Two-thirds of the time he's a teacher. The multitudes addressed him as such. How the disciples referred to Jesus. Jesus himself uses this term in John chapter 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. What a calling. What a calling. So was his teaching effective? Look around. Here we are 2,000 years later, and the church is still here. It changes. It looks a little different sometimes. It's got some highs and lows. It's got some really rough patches, doesn't it? But it's still here. It's not going anywhere. His teaching is very effective. You've heard this before. He never owned a home. He never held an office. never had a wife and kids. He never went to college. He never entered what you and I, anyway, would call a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles during his ministry from the place he was born. But Jesus knew the word had taught him. Someone was raised up, many someone, in order to teach me about Jesus. Someone was raised up to teach you about Jesus. And we've been talking about a lot of gifts, and I think all these gifts are important. We know these are important from the Holy Spirit. We know they're important from the Word of God. But i got to tell you, the humanness in me, I, I can't help but think, when you look at some of these gifts, servant, evangelist, mercy showing, teacher, that's time well spent. That's time well spent to serve this life. Remember the parable of the gifts that we started this off with. How did you invest what I gave you? Well done, good and faithful servant. Serving in Christ's kingdom church was never promised to be easy. It was never promised to be hard, frankly, for that matter. It never promised notoriety, never promised wealth or physical comfort, never promised prestige, at least on this side of the grave. But service in Christ's kingdom does promise to be good. Good. In the 21st chapter of Revelation, you know, this won't be on your screen, something I was reading this morning. You find, 21st and 22nd, you find that eventually all of this that we see, that we know, is made new again. The old is done away with. The new is here. 
And so at some point, when you read that, you have to look at your own life, and you've got to ask, what's the point? What's the point? If everything's going to be scrubbed out, rebuilt, renewed, what's the point? The point is you live the good life the way Jesus defines good. Service to that eternal kingdom. Your verse that you write in this story of life is going to have its ups and its downs. It's going to have moments of strength and moments of weakness. It'll have moments of camaraderie, and it's going to have moments of frustration and disagreement. I got to tell you, church, to get to the very end of that verse and sign in the name of Christ at the bottom of that page. That is good life. That's the good life. What's the point of telling us all this? Hmm? How do we know? How do we discover this special area of service? How do we realize? How do we get started into this? How do we embrace the grace given to serve the kingdom of Christ? You ever been frustrated uh, when someone says you got to go back to the basics? You got to learn the fundamentals? You just want to move on. You just want to get on with it. You want to get the good stuff. And they say, wait, let's look at the fundamentals. Next week, Paul finishes all of this with the fundamentals. He says, this is how you do all of these things that we've just talked about. This is how you make sure that you put your hand to the plow and you don't look back. He says one line in Romans chapter 12 that's just so incredibly powerful and echoes throughout all of Scripture. Be here for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. We thank you that you challenge us, that you give us a mission, you give us the ability to have the good life, the good eternal life. As we look at all those wonderful gifts that you give to us, as you, as you look at the church, the body, and what it can do, what it ought to do, help us, Father, to pursue what is eternal, pursue what is good, to walk with one another, to bear with one another, to go through this life, to not squander the opportunities that we have been given, but to long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, please stand with me.
Come as a shock to some of you, but Ad and I determined I'm kind of an idiot. Um, he said he's going to come up and get his bass as I go up to preach, and I thought he was going to come up and play. I don't, I don't know why I thought that. I thought he was kidding, and then I'm walking up, and here he comes. And I thought, how are we going to swing this? What's going to happen? I, you know. I'm, I'm an idiot. I don't, I don't know why I was thinking that. He just needed to fix it, I guess. We could all tell he needed to fix it. <laughs> That's for sure. So I, I grew up uh, having pizza on Friday nights. Do you guys, do you guys accept pizza on Fridays? It's kind of Friday night pizza. I don't know. This is a thing for you in your home. Um. I have no idea what that, I, I don't know what that joke was. I didn't hear that one, but good for you, whoever. Hey, yeah, that's true. See, I don't, I don't know why we wait till Fridays, personally. The only thing better than pizza is more pizza. That's as, as far as I can tell, okay? But we, we did every Friday night, and it was a big deal. It was a lot of fun. Dad would come home from work. He would bring with him a pizza. He would bring with him a movie that he had never seen and picked out was wildly inappropriate for all of the kids there. <laughs> We'd get just honestly usually through the credits and, you know, at the beginning. And mom would look over at dad and say, no, we're not doing this. We're not. <laughs> that was Friday nights. My whole life growing up. And so I try to institute that part of that in our home, uh, the pizza part anyway. And I, I like I like pizza on Friday nights, and so we get pizza on Friday nights usually. But a, a few weeks ago, you know, we're driving home. I'm driving home with Sam from school. So it's about 3.30 or so. And uh, we're getting close to home. I said, oh, hey, by the way, it's Friday night. You know what tonight is? And he said, what? You know, I said, I'm excited, right? I said, it's pizza night. 
And he says, you know what, I'm kind of bored with that. Let's do something else. What? <laughs> what kind of a... I, I was I, I, speechless, you know? I offered him some ice cream the other day. He says, nah, no thanks. What? We're giving him way too much. We need to do some negative reinforcement, I think, in our house. That's, that's what we need. You talk about, I, and the only thing I'm thinking is, boy, you talk about the good life. I mean, that's, you got it made. I, that's the only thing I, that's the criteria. If you're turning down pizza and ice cream, that's it. You've made it. That's it. Turn down pizza and ice cream. That's the good. We, we, we look for, we want the good life. We suspect that we have an idea of what the good life is. The problem is, I do think that our idea of the good life is, is tragically skewed. Uh, it, it, certainly in our culture, uh, we think of the good life as, you know, wealth or notoriety, uh, fame and fortune, maybe even, you know, health or, or looking the best or whatever it might be. And we tend to think that, that if someone can achieve that, then they've achieved the good life. We see throughout Scripture that that's not what Jesus means when he says good. And there's nothing wrong with a lot of that stuff. But that's not what Jesus is talking about whenever he talks about good. It's, it's much bigger than that, much deeper than that. And it's much more permanent than that. All of that stuff is temporary. All of that stuff, by the way, can be taken from you in a moment, in a moment. You don't own any of that stuff, right? Don't think that you do. But Jesus talks about good, and it's much, much bigger than that. This is what we mean when we're talking about service in Christ's kingdom, living the good life. And it really strikes me that I've used this title before, but I can't remember. I figure if I can't remember, you can't remember. So this is the first time we've used this title before. Let's just go with that, living the good life. Living the good life is service in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's good now. That's good tomorrow, and that's good eternally. Everything else we use to define good is subjected or is subject to change. Here today, gone tomorrow, one way today, changed tomorrow. It changes today, depending on what culture you're in. It changes throughout history, depending on what time you're in. But the good of service in Jesus' kingdom, that's the same today as it was yesterday, going to the same tomorrow, and it's going to be eternal. Wonderful stuff. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you, Father, that we can be challenged today, that we can be informed today. We thank you, Father, that um, we see some tremendous opportunity to live the good life as we have gone through so much of this study. We ask that you be a part today. Open our eyes. Open our minds. Help us to see this perspective. Embrace this perspective, Father, of your word. Help us be true and accurate to it. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 12 says this, Anyone who loves their life will, will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. And I like this part. My father. By the way, when Jesus talks about his father, he's talking about God, okay? The God that made you. 
the God that made everything you see, the God that, that formed the cosmos. And so when Jesus says, my father, listen to what this God is going to do. My father will honor the one who serves me. You know, we think of bringing glory to God. We think of honoring God often in our lives. Imagine this. I really embrace the words that Jesus says. The one who follows me, God's going to honor, going to lift up, raise up, going to be worthy of honor. I don't know how many people have honored you in your life or if anybody's honored you in your life, but if you pursue Christ, follow Christ, serve Christ, the kingdom of Christ, what awaits you? Honor, not just from anyone, from God himself. That's the good life. That's the good life. Over the past couple of weeks, uh, we've been talking about serving in Christ's kingdom. And, and what really got me to thinking sometime last year, maybe the year before that, was reading through uh, Luke and, and, and noticing and realizing this moment where Jesus says, those who put their hand to the plow and look back are not fit for serving. That, those kind of words. There's not a ton like that, frankly, for me in Scripture. But something like that makes me sit up and pay attention. Wait a minute. Jesus himself saying that there's people not worthy, not able to serve in his kingdom. I don't want to be one of those people. I want to be somebody who will serve, can serve, should serve, does serve. I want to know that I could serve in Jesus' kingdom. And so we've been looking at survival of the fit that is fit to serve. And what we realize is a lot of these things that make us fit to serve Jesus' kingdom are the very same things that we use, the very same mentalities we have, and the conditions of the heart when we give our lives to Jesus. We realize this is survival. It's eternal survival being fit to serve in Jesus' kingdom. And now that moved into uh, looking at spiritual gifts, this special blessing this measure of grace that God gives to each individual to play a part, a role in the kingdom of Christ, to play a part or a role in the church. This is what your responsibility is. This is what your response is if you've given your life to Jesus. You understand that? If you're not paying attention, pay attention now. If you have given your life to Jesus, you have a role to play in the church. Service role to put these these works of service to use for people around you and if you're not doing that then you're not living out what you profess when we don't live out what we profess that's called lack of faith there's no faith there so all of this stuff is very very important we we go we, we, we many times we'll teach or we'll preach a lesson on Sunday morning, and, and it'll, it'll tickle our ears and make us feel good and all that special, and that's lovely, and that's nice. Thank you for doing that. Sometimes, though, we come to these parts and places in Scripture where it challenges us and says, look, you, you, you've got to quit sitting there just listening. You've you got to be involved in this kingdom, right? You've you got to play this role. And so some of these areas, as we begin to explore them, are gifts of service, areas of service in in the church, we try to be obedient to God in all areas of our life, and God equips us with the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the role that he has for us, and every one of you has a role. We've looked at a lot of these spiritual gifts. Today we're going to look at the final three that we'll talk about, and then next week all of this stuff's going to come together, because after going this far, if you're anything like me, 
you need some hunger, okay? Uh, look, we've talked about service. We've talked about giving your life to Jesus, service in the kingdom. We've talked about spiritual gifts. You got to bring all this together, preacher, because you're leaving me hanging out here, and I need to know exactly what this means, where I start, how do I know it and see it and define it in my life. Thankfully, clear back where Jesus talks about uh, those who uh, put their hand to the plow and look back and not fit, fit for service. Paul even addresses that as he brings all of this to a close in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in Ephesians. We're going to look at all three of those later on next week. We're going to see how Paul wraps all of this stuff up. It's a wonderful, wonderful summary. Today, we looked at three other spiritual gifts. First is shepherding. Shepherding. <clears throat> shepherding, some people think of uh, leaders in the church. Some people might think of elders in the church. Uh, but shepherding is a spiritual gift. That is a measure of grace bestowed by the Holy Spirit on people in the church that have given their lives to Jesus Christ. What's the best way to look at shepherding? Well, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd has three primary responsibilities. Number one is food. Then two is protection. Three is direction. Food, protection, direction. If shepherding is something that you've been thinking about, if it's stirring in your heart and your mind, food, direction, or food, protection, and direction. First of all, food. Make sure the word is taught. Make sure the word's taught. Make sure the word's taught in this body and in this church. Make sure the word is accurate. Make sure it's true. Make sure this is what we immerse ourselves in is the word of Jesus Christ. Look, we use a lot of different things. We're going to do some book studies a little bit later on. But we're always in the word of Jesus Christ. It's eternal. It's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Shepherds are required to teach. Our shepherds in this church, in this body, they all teach. They don't all teach at once. They don't all teach at the same time. But they all teach. Uh, as a matter of fact, Lee's got a class going on right now in the, in the foyer you can go to. Don't go there right now. This teaching is better. But trust me, maybe, maybe next week you can get back there. Uh, look, there's a lot of organizations that treat this depth, this exegetical biblical teaching as secondary. You know, something that, that is, not, uh, is not necessary and is not as important as it is. And those things are good charities, but they're not good churches. Uh, that's not providing food for you and for your family. There is real food, and that is the love and understanding of Jesus Christ. Jesus says it himself. We talked about this a little while back when we were talking about embrace the crazy. John chapter 6, I am the living bread, says Jesus, that came down from heaven. So when we're talking about providing food, Jesus says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I'm the food. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. John he goes on, 54 through 58, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. What does it mean to feed upon Jesus? Not only do you combine your life with him and trust him in every aspect of your life, but you consume him, right? You're in the word. You're applying the word. You're trying to understand the word. You're asking questions about the word. A lot of people I've seen go through their whole lives never understanding the word of God, but never once asking a question about it. Consume him. The word of God. Shepherding, though, in its broadest sense, is not just leading inside the church walls proper. 
if you have a family, you're called to shepherd that family. You're called to shepherd that family to provide that food for your family. Let me ask you a question. What would you call somebody? What would you call a man who's capable yet refuses to support his family? Doesn't work, doesn't play, doesn't instruct, doesn't discipline, doesn't go, doesn't help, sacrifice, doesn't try, he doesn't care. What would you call that person? Hmm? Because of that, as a result of all that, there's no bread on the table. There's no food on the table. We've all probably got our description of what you would call somebody like that. A deadbeat, right? Slacker, scoundrel, slug, a lot of S words there. Shepherd, you know the real food if you're shepherding your family. Jesus told us what the real food is. It's him. It's his word. It's his gospel. It's his life. It's his character and his example. The question is, if you're shepherding a family, are you feeding your family? Is there food on your table? Is there food on your table? So if shepherds provide food, they also may want to make sure that food is of good quality, and that is protection. <clears throat> protection. A shepherd, particularly in this church, protects the integrity of the word. They fight off the heresy that is so prevalent. I, I tell you, ever since the ascension of Christ, we live in a day and a time of heresy and false prophets. Okay, don't buy into that stuff. Guys, you ask, have to ask questions about these things. There, there are people in this church who have the spiritual gift of discernment. And that's why they're here. They're here to help you, to lead you. I ask these people who have this spiritual gift of discernment about things in Scripture. One of the people here that has a spiritual gift of discernment is Luke. He's teaching a class in the foyer right now. Don't go there right now, okay? Stay here. No. But he has a great spiritual, and, and others besides. Okay, there's a lot of heresy around. Wolves prowl. So a shepherd, whether it's here in this church or in your home, must be able to identify the wolves and fight them off. And you fight like angels fight. You gotta you go through Scripture. Watch how angels fight. It's not one being physically stronger than the other. That's impossible. They fight with the word. That's how they defeat. That's how they admonish. That's how they go head to head. They fight with the word. It's an incredible thing. You fight like angels fight. Whatever a shepherd, though, fights off the wolves, just know this, their lives are at risk. All right, if a shepherd's going to fight off the wolf, <coughs> that shepherd's life <coughs> is at risk. And while your physical life may not always be at risk when you're doing this stuff, there is other parts of your life that are. For example, uh, your own spiritual life. We're told throughout Scripture to be careful when you're correcting others. Be careful that you're not drawn into the same sin. Galatians chapter 6, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them gently, but watch yourselves or you're also going to be tempted. You're also going to be drawn into this same thing. That's one of the reasons shepherds and elders should not be a recent convert, 1 Timothy chapter 3. He must not be a recent convert. Or he may be conceited and fall into the same judgment as of the devil. There's also the lifestyle that's at jeopardy. If you're going to be a shepherd, there's a lifestyle that's in jeopardy. When you take on this role, your job, your reputation, your comfort level, whatever that is. All these things you have to be willing to sacrifice if you're going to be a shepherd. you got to confront it and realize but if you're going to shepherd the church, certainly even if you're going to shepherd your family, you have to be willing to give up a lot of these things in order to teach and preach the word of God. So what else then does a shepherd do? 
shepherd provides direction, that is, guides. And what is the primary way a shepherd provides direction? Whether you're talking about the church or you're talking about somebody caring for their family. Look, yeah, he can beat the sheep. He can hit the sheep. He can goad the sheep once in a while, I suppose. But the primary way that a shepherd leads is going ahead of the sheep. They go first. That's how that's done. They're leading by going ahead of the sheep. Remember, protection is making sure the word is taught properly. Guidance is proper application of the word and direction of the body. Shepherds are not professionals in every area of life. Look, if you want shepherds in this church to give you advice you know, from, from any random area of life, mo- a lot of times they're going to look at you like you're crazy. I have no idea what you're talking about. They're not professionals in all area of life, nor are they necessarily given the same measure of grace as everybody else in this church, right? There's different spiritual gifts. There's different measures of grace. There's different parts of the body that come together to build this body. This is precisely why it takes everyone in the church to make the church grow, to help edify the church, to make it successful here and around the world. But to adhere to the word of God is very important for guidance. This is one of those verses that you... uh, Ah, you got to take very seriously and kind of shudder at a little bit. Hebrews chapter 13, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Very serious call. Very serious call. Very special gift. Uh, And there's more leaders than just those in this church. There's leaders that gave you the word of God throughout history, certainly even in the word of God. And by the way, if you're going to look at the outcome of their life, and imitate their faith. You know what your leaders did in the word? They got killed. Okay? They all got killed. Look to your leaders. Imitate their faith. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. And they all died for it. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to give your life over to Jesus Christ. What's another spiritual gift that we have? That's that's shepherding. Encouragement. This is something Brian was talking about, exhortation. Now, this is the the Greek word paraklesis, to to come next to. This is urging done. This is encouraging done. This is helping someone along. This is building someone up. This is getting them from where they are to where they need to be. Paul tells Timothy to talk about exhortation until they meet up later to exhort, to summon admonish, building up others. You develop a relationship with those around you. Look, it's perfectly fine to be the prophet. It's perfectly fine to be the preacher that is proclaimed the word. But there are others. There are others that have these incredible spiritual gifts of encouragement that I'm going to come alongside. I'm going to empathize. I'm going to sympathize. But more than that, I'm going to act upon this. And you and I are going to share this burden. You and I are going to share this load. I may know nothing about this load. I may know scant little about you. But we're going to share this together. You and I are going to walk through this valley of the shadow of death together. That's what it means to be an encourager. That's what it means to to be involved in exhortation. We have to see that this complements mercy showing. It complements serving. It even complements generosity. These are the types of people who take to heart God's instruction in Galatians chapter 6, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, 
you will fulfill the law of Christ. Notice how there are so many of these spiritual gifts that are bestowed quite liberally in the church. Encouragement is one of those. Service is one of those. Mercy showing is one of those. Generosity is one of those. Right? These spiritual gifts actually bestowed on quite a few in the church. There are some spiritual gifts that are bestowed upon a, a fewer people in the church. Teaching, shepherding, some of those things, uh, discernment. But all of these things, all of these in obedience to Christ are things that we would pursue. Right? There's no excuse to simply say, I don't have this particular area of service, therefore I don't care about that particular area of service. All of these things begin to fit together. Mercy showing, serving, generosity. You can see how that meshes very well with encouragement or exhortation. We're going to see a little bit later on here how teaching is an extension of prophecy and evangelism. Teaching relies upon those who have the gift of wisdom and knowledge and discernment. I said at the beginning of this part of the series, when we look at spiritual gifts, don't miss the forest, okay? We get so caught up sometimes in each individual spiritual gift, staring at this tree, wondering which tree is ours, that we don't take a step back and really realize what God's trying to do with these spiritual gifts. This wonderful body coming together and working together in obedience to Jesus Christ and love for each other. So if you're unclear, if God hasn't touched you with that magic wand, don't be waiting on that because it doesn't work that way, all right? What we live out is obedience to Jesus Christ, and then we are given this incredible grace to fulfill the tasks that he has for us. It, it, look, it, it's like a body, okay? At least the outside of a body. When we talk about all these spiritual gifts and where we can minister and how we can minister, the finger merges into the hand. There's not like a line here that says, you know, finger ends, hand begins. It merges into the hand. <clears throat> the hand merges into the arm. The arm merges into the body. There's a lot of these things that begin to overlap as we build one another up, as we even see them play out in our own lives, certainly as we look at <clears throat> service to one another in light of all of these other gifts. One of the problems that Christians have is this temptation, once again, to get co so caught up in the spiritual gift that we only look to serve in that one area of life. That's not how these things work, all right? God calls us to obediently serve him in all things. That's faith, by the way. He will equip us with whatever gifts that we need in order to accomplish that task if we follow him in obedience. That's faith, by the way. Following Jesus in obedience is faith. That's the only definition you need, all right? Following Jesus through obedience. He even says it himself. In fact, we're, 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 we're chastised in James for thinking that faith is anything separated from obedience to Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey me. Faith and obedience. Faith is action. Faith is action. Faith is action. There's no such thing as faith without action. Don't sit here and think that you have faith if you don't have action, if you don't act upon it. And it scares me because people think that, because I'm looking at lost people if they think they have faith in Jesus Christ and cannot or will not move upon that faith. Jesus says, that's not faith. That's not even what the word faith means. You respond to your belief in Jesus Christ, your obedience to him. If you're worried about what spiritual gift you have, you're starting the wrong end round. Paul's going to show us that next week. I encourage you to be here. By the way, 
we're going to do things a little bit different next week. Okay, so I encourage you to be here on time, you know, in case we start the sermon at the beginning of the ser- service. Start the sermon at the beginning of the service. Sermon's going to be at the beginning of the service, okay? Be here for that. Should have a lot of fun with it. Finally, teaching. What is a teacher? Someone who is empowered by the Holy Spirit to explain God's Word. Look, all of these things are important. They're all given by God Himself to glorify God and build up one another. But I got to tell you, in my humanness, I look at things like service, mercy showing, evangelism, teaching. I'm like, man, what a way to spend a life right there. That's time well spent. Stuff like that. It's incredible stuff. It's a big deal being a part of stuff like that, being a servant, having the title servant, having the title teacher. Again, it's not just about the title, but embracing that. A teacher can explain accurately, properly, and effectively the Word of God. Now, look, after a teacher does that, what the student does with it sometimes very much up to the student. But the teacher has the responsibility to teach accurately and effectively. And teaching is another great example of how the Holy Spirit manifests these gifts. It begins with a desire to serve. It begins with the desire to show love to Jesus Christ by showing love to others. We don't wake up one morning knowing how to do everything in these different areas of service. We don't even wake up one morning wanting to do every specific thing in these areas of service. But every teacher, and I'm just using teaching as as an example of how these gifts manifest themselves, every teacher take seriously every good teacher does the same thing they study they study they practice they learn they grow in that area of service that's what a teacher does and so if you've got the spiritual gifts of teaching that's what you're going to begin to do not show up one day and teach everything there is to know you're going to begin to grow in that area of service that's the same thing's true with mercy showing same thing's true with encouragement. The same thing's true with generosity. You begin to grow in that area of service if you give your life obediently to Jesus Christ. We want the answer before we serve. That's our problem. Paul's going to tell us that's the wrong way to do it. That's the wrong way to do it. You're never going to get there. You're never going to get there if you want the answer of where you're supposed to serve before you have the desire to serve Jesus Christ lost it there. I didn't have all that stuff written down, but it was pretty good. Every teacher <coughs> studies, they organize, they make mistakes, they learn from their mistakes, they refine their craft, and they all have one goal in mind, raising up the knowledge and understanding of Christ in the student. Teaching the Word of God, again, is a noble calling. Ephesians chapter 4, so Christ, gave, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. These are sort of these core foundational gifts of the church to equip his people for works of service, for works of service. And that's all these other spiritual gifts we've been talking about. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, that is spiritually mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Jesus taught more than he ever performed miracles. And that's what he was doing. He was teaching. Paul calls himself a teacher. Second, second Timothy chapter 1 
And of this gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, I was appointed a herald, that is a preacher, an apostle, that is one sent, and a teacher. Paul could have called himself a lot of things, but he called himself a teacher. It's so important to us that James tells us not to play around with this, but to take it seriously. In James chapter 3, not many of you should presume to be teachers because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. By the way, this is not meant to discourage you from teaching. It's simply meant to drive home the importance of teaching the gospel message in people's lives. And also, judgment. We think of judgment in a bad way. Judgment goes both ways, bad and good. Sometimes judgment is very good. Teachers are deserving of incredible honor. The teacher is a title that Christ himself embraced. He is addressed specifically 90 times in the gospel message. Two-thirds of those times, he's addressed as teacher. Teacher, not Lord, not Savior, not God, not Son of Man, all that stuff. He's addressed as teacher two-thirds of the time. This is how the multitudes addressed him. This is how his disciples addressed him. Jesus himself said he was a teacher in John chapter 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Was Jesus' teaching effective? Look around. Here we are, 2,000 years later. And we're still following Jesus. People around the world still following Jesus. Church is still here. It goes through some pretty rough patches. And there's days and there's times you begin to wonder. But it's still here. And it'll continue to be here. And it will be here forevermore throughout eternity. Those who have given their lives to Jesus. His teaching was incredibly effective. And you've heard this before. Christ never owned a home. He never held an office. Never had a wife and kids. He was a teacher that never went to college. He never entered what you and I would call a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles during his ministry from the place he was born. But Jesus knew the word and he taught it to others. Someone was raised up to teach me the word of Jesus Christ. A lot of someones were raised up to teach me. Someone was raised up to teach you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember the parable of the gifts we started this out with. How did you invest what I gave you? And then he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Serving in Christ's kingdom, church, it was never promised to be easy. It was never promised to be hard, frankly, for that matter. You were never promised notoriety, wealth, physical comfort. Never promised prestige, at least on this side of the grave. You are promised honor on the other side. But it does always promise to be good. Good. A lot of things are bad. Some things are unsure of. There's very few things that you can say this is good. Service in Jesus' kingdom is good. The verse that you're going to write in this life is going to have its ups and downs. It'll have moments of strength and moments of weakness. It'll have moments of camaraderie and moments of frustration and disagreement. But church, take this to heart. To get to the end of that verse that you write and sign at the bottom of that page, in the name of Christ, that's the good life. That's the good life. Doesn't matter what anybody's ever said about it. Doesn't matter what anybody else has ever done. You spend that life in service to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you have the authority and the right at the end of that life. In the name of Christ. What's the point? 
discovering where and how and why we're wanting to serve the kingdom of Jesus. You might get frustrated when you have to go back to the fundamentals. I know I do sometimes. I want to just get out there and do it. I want to just move on from here. I don't want to go backwards and learn something basic. Paul says this is exactly what you have to do. If you want to do it right, if you want to know and understand what this area of service is, if you want to know what it feels like to put your hand to the plow and know that you're not going to look back, you've got to go backwards just a little bit into the fundamentals. He says something very poignant in Romans chapter 12 that brings all of this together in one line in fashion that we're going to see next week. I encourage you to read this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the love that you have for us and that you chose for your word. I thank you, Father, that there are areas in your kingdom where all of us would serve. We don't even know what those are right now. I mean, you just open up this incredible world for us. We thank you, Father, though, that we get to play a role, that you get to write a verse in this amazing thing that you're doing. Father, help put this on our heart, our minds. Help us realize that where we want to go, where we want to be, may not be where you want us to go, you want us to go. Help us submit to Christ out of obedience to that thing and to show in this service of your kingdom. won't be long. Tony and Rita, can you come up here for just a second? I have to stand up here. 
I was told. If I go down there, they can only see like this this much of it. I think your son's up there, though. He's the one getting our picture, right? All right. This is Tony and Rita Dom. You know Brian. He's the one in charge upstairs uh, carrying us on. We've been uh, worshiping together for, it's been a while now, and they want to be a part of this body. They've accepted Christ, but they want to be a part of this body, and they want to be a part of your family. Um, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And so uh, I'm just going to ask them to make that same profession that you've made before. I'm going to ask you to make that in front of this group of people. I believe, believe. that Jesus is the, Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is my Savior, and He is my Lord. All right, these are your new brothers and sisters, Tony and Rita. I encourage you to get to know them, get to know the whole family. I'll say it. Get to know the whole Dom family. <laughs> All right? And uh, they're wonderful people. They're wonderful, wonderful people. So please be a part of that. Let's thank Jesus for this time and individual. I thank you, Father, for Tony and Rita. I thank you for their family. And I do thank you for their impact in this church and in my life in particular. Uh, Father, I ask that you help them as their brothers and sisters uh, to build up and edify and encourage this church. And I also ask, Father, that you help everybody in this church to build up and encourage and edify Tony and Rita. I thank you for a day, a day of joy. We have, a, we have difficult days, Father, and it seems like there's a lot of difficult days out there. But right now, this moment, right here, this is a moment of joy. And I thank you for that. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you're dismissed. for you, but the problem is I want to redo them because they're in the, I have the wrong dates on it now, because I mean, I did, it, it didn't dawn on me until uh, like just this service, actually I thought